The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. Fifty percent on third down conversions for the Hawkeyes tonight. Showing the blitz, coming with everybody, and the pass is caught. Jacob Hilliard to the end zone, touchdown! 26-yard touchdown pass from Rudolph to Hilliard. Looked like Iowa State brought everybody on that one. To the house goes Hilliard to answer. How about this? Three third-down conversions on the drive, including that 26-yard touchdown pass to Hilliard. Hello, everyone. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeyes Mike. This podcast features former NFL and Iowa Hawkeye star Marv Cook. Marv breaks down Iowa's victory and aims over in-state rival Iowa State, and he previews the upcoming game against Western Michigan. We also have our weekly Big Ten Conference update. This Hawkeyes Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs, which include Brent Balbonat and Marv Cook, as well as sports reporters Scott Docterman of the Gazette, the Hawkeye Susan Dank, and Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times. Be sure to check out both of our reporters' notebook shows this week. The Iowa-Iowa State game highlights are courtesy of Fox Sports 1 with announcers Justin Kutcher and James Bates. An adequate job in play-by-play and analysis. We appreciate it and thank them. Hawkeyes Mike football programs come to you following every game during the entire season and are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes and remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group in Coralville, Iowa. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. We welcome back Marv Cook for his weekly X's and O's stint on Hawkeye's Mike. Marv breaks down Iowa's win over the Cyclones, and he previews Saturday's home game against Western Michigan. Marv, the Cyhawk Trophy's back in Iowa City. It was an important win for Iowa in this season. Your overall impressions and your view of how the game ranks in terms of importance as the Hawkeyes try to right the ship from last year. Well, I, mean, I think first and foremost, it's a, it's a road victory. Got a little bit of a winning streak going, two in a row, so that's good. And, and then ultimately, I, you know, I thought they they you know played to their strengths and, and really had some success and was able to run the foot, football effectively, you know, against a decent Iowa State team. So you know, a lot of positives to take from it, but still a lot of things that they still got to continue to get better at. Obviously as we get ready to get in the heart of our schedule. Team still showing some struggles with putting opponents away. Another game where the stats and the scoreboard didn't quite match up. Yeah, you know, and I think part of that is just because we still haven't developed that big play offense yet. Uh, you know, I mean, we really had, we were effective with, you know, three to six yard runs and, you know, some eight yards in there and, and just were having success with that. So we just kept pounding it, pounding it, and pounding it. And, you know, and that's, takes the air out of the ball a little bit, burns the clock, and ultimately a lot of points aren't scored at that point. And, you know, one of the things we always talk about, you just don't want it to come down to one play, you know, one possession. And unfortunately, we got ourselves back in that situation late in that game. And, you know, it'd be nice to, obviously, I'm sure everybody feels the same way. It'd be nice to, you know, be up 21 with 30 seconds to go where you can actually take a, you know, knee and not have to worry about someone throwing the ball to the end zone. Yeah, you just mentioned it as hard as it was to believe, and as often as many Iowa fans and members of the media, for that matter, thought that the Hawkeyes had put that game away, Iowa State 
recovers that last onside kick, and they've got a chance to take a lead with the touchdown. Yeah, don't like to think about that stuff, but uh, but that you know that that happens. It, it would have taken multiple things to fall into place for them to get the victory. I mean, I truly felt like Iowa was the better team throughout, and that's that's the next lesson that these guys got to learn is is you have to if you're if you're facing a team and you're playing better and and you're on the uh, the top end of the, the the game, then you need to be you know finding ways to get you know a seven point lead into fourteen into twenty one into twenty eight into thirty five and you know let the backups play at that point. Perfecting may be an over exaggeration, but it certainly looks like Iowa has has come a long way in terms of employing significant variations in tempo in so far an exclusive no huddle offense. You know, it was interesting to, to, for me to see how they they have evolved into that. But ultimately, honestly, we lined up and we ran the same play probably 65, 70% of the time. And we were blocking down, kicking out, pulling the weak side guard and just hammered in there with Wiseman and, and having a lot of success. And that's and that kind of minimizes a lot of penalties and minimizes a lot of other things that can go wrong when you're just lining up and, and pounding in between the tackles. So, but I've been, you know, like I said, I've been very, very pleased with where we're at. Still, don't have a really good gauge of of the talent, how, how good the teams are. We played, you know, Northern Illinois went into Idaho last week and ended up winning 45-35 to an Idaho team that I had never heard, had heard of. And so, you know, I'm just not sure how it all shakes out yet. Although, you know, we're still two and one and uh, moving into Western Michigan, you know, with the winning streak, so that's good. As much as they slowed the pace down last Saturday in Ames, they still ran 83 offensive plays. That's their average for the season so far, and it's about 15, 16 more than Kirk's ever averaged before. Yeah, and I, I think I think that might be just a little misleading, just because of you know the kind of the three games we've had at this point. You know, I think that's that statistic will come into more into play as we get into the the heart of the schedule, four or five games into the Big Ten, then we'll kind of know how we're doing from a pace standpoint, from a, a snap standpoint. But uh, you know, I thought you know obviously Wiseman's a workhorse and was very very effective. The offensive line did a good job, and and then uh, you know Jake Rudock uh, continues to to be a great leader of this offense. Let's talk Jake Rudock for a few minutes. He continues to impress most observers plays heady the phrase that was or the word that was used a lot coming out of the locker room last Saturday night was poise he's just not making many mistakes and he continues to show some surprising run running ability and as you talked about last week I think part of what is leading to that success is the fact that he's always still looking to pass when he's breaking out in those runs that's correct just extending plays is what he's doing uh, keeping everything up and down down the field which puts an enormous amount of stress on a secondary and a defense and and I, I just like his his demeanor. He had a couple drops where I thought he could have got frustrated on third down conversions that would have, you know, converted to first downs. And, you know, he didn't call anybody out. He just goes to the sideline. You can tell he's getting ready for the next series. And, and, I, and I just, I love that mindset that you're not going to let yourself get too high, too low. You're going to stay steady. You know, I heard a great interview with Russell Wilson this morning talking about it's the baseball mentality. It's just one pitch at a time. And, you know, you got to learn from what you've done, but also you just got to lock into that next moment. And, and I think he's doing a great job of that, just staying in the moment, you know, trying to get better, trying to really process all the information that comes in and, and, I, and I think the play calling is you know obviously the best friend to a young quarterback's a great running game and we've been fortunate enough to have that the first three games. Expanding on that a bit he didn't seem at all phased when he came back out on the field following his one fumble and he didn't seem the least bit bothered by playing in the hostile environment in Ames. Yeah and that's if, if I don't take anything other 
else away from from his play other than that I mean that's just going to play him you know pay off for huge for him and as he gets ready to go into these other venues and, and to have that kind of atmosphere sold out crowd his first road game is a Hawkeye as a collegiate quarterback and and just to stay calm and poised and and to have things go wrong I mean that's you know that's football things will happen and you know you just got to recover from them and, and come back and play the next snap and I just really really like the way he goes about you know his preparation and the way he leads his offense were you surprised at the lack of balance in Iowa's offense with the 60 runs last no, they're playing for wins. I mean, that's uh, they're going to do whatever it takes to win a game. And, and if they can get four yards of carry, which is what Iowa State couldn't get penetration, could not stop that, that block down kick out, and, and, and I was getting good push, and, and they were going to run it and run it and run it and run it and run it until they stopped it, and they really never got around to stopping it. Wiseman's workload, a lot of discussion about that this week, and we had some of that conversation last year too, Marv. How much longer, especially going into the Big Ten, can Iowa afford to do that? Kirk joked at his press conference that, the football isn't very heavy, but especially as you get into conference play, you're going to take a lot of beating. Yeah, you know, the, the issue with the way that we do it is when you bring in two tight ends and, and you're running fullbacks and, you know, we've got eight or nine in the box, that means the defense is going to have eight or nine in the box. And it's not just it's not just one guy hitting you. I mean, I think of a guy like Barry Sanders who touched the ball 25, 30 times a game. You know, but a lot of those were, he was outside, he was one-on-one, he was able to, 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 to get to the boundary, you know, and avoid the contact at the end. Where Mark Wiseman, when he's running inside, he's getting hit from the front he's getting hit from the sides you know it's never one person's hitting him it's constantly you know one guy's hitting him he's bouncing off that one then the other guys are rallying so he's constantly getting hit by two three four defenders every time he touches the ball you know that just takes its toll and all it takes is that one you know that one awkward deal where you're going to pile or something and, and, and you got an issue you know it's like last year he gets the, or the ankle sprain at Michigan State or whatever but you know those are things that you, unfortunately with our style that's what you're going to get and you need a big bruiser running back and we're fortunate enough to have him through three games talk about the development of Iowa's offensive line and its role in sustaining those long, time-consuming, run-heavy drives that Iowa had last week. Yeah, and I think they feed off of that. You know, I think they feed off the success of, of getting it going a little bit, and, and they've just continued to, you know, they're playing on the other side of the line of scrimmage, and that's, if you're doing that, running this type of offense, you're going to have success because your back's going to be able to run downhill and get some momentum, and you know, I, I thought the fullback was doing a great job of, you know, making sure we were getting to that next level, and, and um, when you're effectively coming off the ball like that, and double teaming and pressing and I mean it's t- it's tough to defend without just you know committing all out to stopping the run and now you're vulnerable in the pass area so you know it's a tribute to them and and, and their development you know I, I kind of joke and unfortunately it's the old not unfortunately but it's it's, it's the old Big Ten and, it, and we're going to need to do this to be effective late in October November in the Big Ten but it, you end up almost getting the golf applause you know when you get a first down it's you know third and two and you get a four yard run it's you know the gratuitous <laughs> applause versus you know running some spectacular type design play that executes an eight-yard play versus a, a three-yard run. But, but it's it's effective. It's working right now. My only concern is, as is, is we get into the heart of this thing, is we still haven't expanded the passing game to the point where what if we need to throw it 40, 45, 50 times to be effective with one of these teams? And, and, and I'm sure Jake can do that, but it'd be nice to, to be working some of that stuff you know, early in the season as we have these, these teams that technically on paper we should be beating. Picking up on the, the number of passes, even
even with a run emphasis last week. Rudock still completed 14 passes. Given how few those pass completions there were, he did that to seven different receivers, and certainly a breakout game maybe for Cavante Martin-Manley. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of been a rotational deal with the, with the receivers, and, and I think that is it shows a lot of poise by the quarterback to be able to distribute the ball like that and have confidence in multiple players. But And, and that's ultimately a good thing is, is when, you know, when we had Marvin McNutt, and obviously he was the go-to guy, you know, defenses could focus on one guy. Well, now, you know, we're starting to show diversity, even among the tight end position as far as getting other guys involved in the passing game. It really puts the defense in a more, you know, where they can't necessarily go two over one, you know, because now they're going to be one-on-one on the backside or one-on-one somewhere else, and, we're, and the Hawks will have an advantage. So it's going to put more and more stress on the defense as he gets more people involved in the passing game. C.J. Fedorowicz, somewhat of a puzzle here so far this season. He only had one catch for six yards Saturday, but he also had two drops. He seems to be dropping the ball more than you would expect this year. Do you have any sense of what's going on there? I don't. Other than, you know, other than uh, you know, a lot of those plays that he's involved with involve multiple, you know, there's linebackers around, there's always, you know, collisions right there. Um, and it's it just, you know, a lot of times, like I, I saw the one, it was a stick route, and he didn't necessarily come out of it, you know, very crisp, it was almost like a hook versus a, you know, stick route where he comes out running and, and the ball was banged on him and I couldn't tell if a guy got a hand in on his arm or something, but, you know, that was a third down that would have been a converted first down. But but ultimately, you know, you have those days where you don't, you drop one or two and you just got to put it behind you and, and try to get better. But I think he is still a viable weapon. Like I said, the thing that excites me is that we're getting more and more involved, kids involved in the passing game from the tight end position. Uh, that's good to see. Iowa has more size probably in the wideout position than, than they've had in a while. That's the direction they seem to be going. Uh, Martin Manley and, and Cotton's size aside, you really saw the advantage that bigger wideouts give you when Jacob Hillier cut that 26-yard touchdown pass, went high in the air, then broke a tackle. Talk about the matchup between the bigger wideouts and defensive backs, which still tend to be pretty small. Yeah, it, it's it's a huge. I mean, I, I've always liked that mismatch. Is, is for me, it, it's you, well, you you may give up a little bit in speed uh, when you go with a bigger guy, but ultimately, technically, they can never be guarded. You know, by a smaller corner. If you if they've got if they've got height and they've got length and they're willing to use their body to, to hold off a defender, you know, then the quarterback can put the ball out in front and, and they can go get it. They'll have access to it, and, and the defender really can't do much about it other than try to break it up after after it hits your hands. So I think that gives the offensive side a huge advantage and, and one that I think is definitely worth taking advantage of. I mean, the other thing is you just throw a hitch out there to them. Now they got the ball in their hand and they got a one-on-one situation with a, ta- with a corner who's not, not necessarily as big as them. So they're tough to defend. Uh, you know, and then the fade routes, the back shoulder throws that all these teams are working in and out of their game. You know, that gives a, the offense a huge advantage when you got three, four, five inches on the cornerback. After the Big Ten update, Marv assesses the play of Iowa's defense and aims, and he talks the Western Michigan game and the MAC. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on, up to 10 washings, moisturizes, alcohol-free, and safe for the kids. So go ahead, touch anything and everything. Ew, a toilet! Prefins, keep your hands germ-free all day. 
In our Big Ten update this week, the 118th season of conference play starts earlier than normal as Purdue travels to Wisconsin on Saturday. The Badgers are seeking their fourth consecutive Big Ten title. This is the third season of divisional play, but the last as the legends and leaders. Next year sees a switch to a geographic split as Rutgers and Maryland join the conference. Each team in each division will play the other five teams in their own division, plus three teams from the other division. While five teams have started the season 3-0 in the Big Ten, the conference did not fare well last weekend in some key matchups. Nebraska lost badly after taking a big lead at home against UCLA. Washington came into Soldier Field and beat Illinois. In the most controversial game last Saturday, Wisconsin got hosed by Pac-12 officials at the end of that game, costing them a heartbreaking loss at Arizona State. The Pac-12 has subsequently reprimanded that crew, which let time expire without allowing the Badgers to attempt a chip shot field goal that would have won the game. That's all well and good, but that mistake could become really glaring if the Badgers somehow managed to go undefeated the rest of the season or close to it. Perhaps most embarrassingly, Central Florida beat Penn State in Happy Valley. Purdue played well in a tough loss to Notre Dame at home. That left the Fighting Irish at 1-1 one one so far against the Big Ten. This week, at least on paper, the schedule gets a bit easier. Notre Dame hosts Michigan State in what might be a very interesting contest, especially given how good the Spartans' defense is this year, and Missouri travels to Indiana in a game where you might be able to get a better sense of just how much progress Indiana's making. The conference continues to have several teams ranking highly nationally, both on offense and defense. The only top ranking goes to Michigan State, which boasts the number one total defense and pass defense efficiency in the FBS. The Big Ten also had nine rushers gain 100 or more yards in last weekend's games, including two each for Indiana and Northwestern, and of course, including Mark Wiseman's workhorse play at Iowa State. The other major controversy this past week involved Bo Pelini, who was secretly recorded over a year ago trashing Nebraska fans. Most agree the timing of the release of that audio was a deliberate attempt to wound the Cornhuskers head coach after another bad loss by his team. The Nebraska administration has remained largely silent and pointedly has yet to express their continued support for Pelini, his leash, by anyone's guess, is now extremely short in Lincoln. There was some change for Big Ten teams with respect to the national rankings after the third week of play. Nebraska dropped out of both polls, and Wisconsin fell out of the USA Today poll, while Michigan State appeared for the first time in the USA Today poll. Ohio State continues to lead the pack at number four in the AP, number three in USA Today. Michigan and Northwestern appear in both polls, while the Badgers remained in the AP rankings. Mm, I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Mm-mm-mm. Third and four. Bullock in the backfield. Rudolph. Pressure. Rudolph goes down. Fumbles it. Recovered by Iowa State. Corey Morrissey with a recovery. David Irving, the big defensive tackle, six feet seven inches, comes back. Saxon forced the fumble. Morrissey the recovery. Iowa State with the ball.
Just a reminder that you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com. Go to the news and events section and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes, and you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, and on Facebook. Also, be sure to check out all of the Hawkeye stories, features, and blogs in the Gazette, the Hawkeye, and the Quad City Times. Next, Marv Cook talks about the play of Iowa's defense and Iowa State, and he previews the Western Michigan game. Turning to the defense, they played really well, certainly through at least three quarters, especially effective versus the run, only uh, 59 yards rushing for the Cyclones. Continued to show a lot more blitzing than what we're used to seeing. But what did you see happening late in the third quarter and in the fourth quarter where Iowa State was all of a sudden, it appeared, able to move the ball effectively against Iowa? You know, I heard I heard a quote by James Morrison just talking about how it doesn't, kind of, it's not necessarily, I'm not going to call it prevent, but ultimately you know what you, what you can't have happen as quick scores. You know, I mean, you, you just got to try to minimize those kind of flute plays and really force them to continue to make play after play after play to move it down the field, burn the clock, and, and ultimately run them out of time. And I think a lot of times that, that mindset can just creep in a little bit that you're not going to contest, you know, those little slants, those short routes, those hooks and curls as much as you normally would, knowing that, like, I don't want to get a penalty. I don't want to, you know, miss the tackle, get too aggressive, and so you just keep the ball in front of you. And then a team that's patient is going to be able to move it up and down the field on you. So I think, I think a lot of it is just that, two schools of thought. That, you know, I, I think our defense is actually playing pretty darn well. I mean, I really, I think, held them to less than 50 yards rushing or 57 yards rushing total or something. I mean, it was, I thought we did a great job for the most part. And then the thing that I really like is I really felt like we started to develop, you know, not necessarily a pass rush as far as sacks, but a pass rush as far as just pressing the pocket. I mean, I thought the Morris interception right before the half was created just by a good push by the left defensive end and kind of got in the quarterback's grill a little bit with him in the tackle and forced a throw that was a little bit back behind the receiver and James was able to get involved in it and, and make the interception and, and get us in field goal range. So, you know, it's it's all coming together a little bit. Obviously, we want to be more effective with it and get the quarterback on the ground more, but definitely steps in the right direction. Flip side of that, though, is the secondary continues to struggle with long passes through the first three games, and that's really how Iowa State came back last weekend. Yeah, They've yeah, now no. given up six touchdown passes of 20 or more yards so far this year. That's Is that a product of the blitzing and leaving the backs out there more on an island, or what's going on there? I, I think it's, I, I don't necessarily think it's the blitzing. I just think that, you know, we're getting out of position. We're getting, and all it takes is two yards. You know, if you slide two yards and get out of position, if the corner, you know, doesn't get back or if the safety doesn't get in a, in a full rotation and get over in time, I mean, those types of things just become big plays when you have big play offenses that are attacking you. And, you know, I think it's kind of more that than it is anything else. And to throw the ball down the field, the one thing you do need is time. It's not a you know three step and then throwing it. It's it's a five step or seven step, and ultimately it's going to take time for those longer plays down the field to develop. And so a pass rush would ultimately help that even more. And, and you know, and then just more stemming, more confusion regarding the quarterback showing him multiple you know pre snap things and then getting to something else would help out as well. But yeah, I mean that's you know that's the one thing that you always strive for offensively is big plays. Obviously defensively, that's probably the number one thing they're addressing right now. B.J. Lowry pretty much embarrassed on one of those big plays last week. He 
talked about it after the game as that's just the life of a cornerback. Then he turns around and makes one of the most spectacular picks you'll ever see. That's the life of that position. And I'm telling you what, I've always said, you know, you got, what's that show with the toughest job, those guys out in the Bering Sea, fishing, fishing crab or whatever. T- world's toughest jobs, I mean, that's it. The cornerback is brutal. The offense is now, the way they attack you, the way they spread the ball all out, and, and the, the athleticism of these guys now is truly brutal to be a cornerback. And you got to have that mentality. i got to stay aggressive. i got to stay confident. i got to keep, you know, continue to believe in what we're doing, and you have to put stuff behind it. And that's, that's the sign of somebody that's going to mature, and, and ultimately he's going to be better because of it. Heading into the last non-conference game this year, Western Michigan comes into Kinnick. Another MAC team, their own three this year, but they played both Michigan State and Northwestern pretty tough. Yeah, I mean, I think both those games are two touchdowns maybe you know so it's obviously a program that is, is very comfortable playing in the Big Ten it has had success in Kinnick Stadium before not this group but you know won't be intimidated by the atmosphere will not be intimidated by the setting and it'll come in and, and pose us a lot of threats athletically as well as schematically and it's going to have to be a game that we're going to be ready I mean, you know I think they're every bit as good as is what we've seen if Iowa comes out and plays well and gets, continues to improve then it should be a game that they should win but if they come out and they struggle and they play poorly and don't execute well like they did against Missouri State then it could be you you know, and for another game that's going to come down to the wire and, and could be anybody's ball game. So it'll be a great challenge. Hopefully the fans will come out and, and support it and, and be a big part of it because I know our players definitely feed off that energy. If you're parents and as coaches, do you remind the team of the Michigan-Akron game last weekend? It's a similar situation this week, really. Iowa coming off a big win in Ames, heading into a game that everyone assumes will be a cakewalk. I, I think that's always a learning lesson. You know, I mean, I, it wouldn't take much for me to go back and show the last game of, I can't or what year it was. 2007. Yeah, and just kind of showing the last couple minutes of that game and what Kinnick Stadium was like on that day and make sure that they understand that that can happen if you don't take care of your business, if you don't get better tomorrow, today, the next day, and, and continue to improve and you don't play well and show up ready to play. You know, I mean, it's there's, it's so true. If you think you're going to show up and play on Saturday and you're not showing up and practicing on one, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, it doesn't work that way. I mean, it just, I have yet to find anybody that can just show up on game day and, and be ready to go without putting the work in beforehand. So it's going to take a great week of preparation and the mindset that, you know, they, they do need to continue to get better. Western Michigan's been hurt by the run in its first three games. They're 114th in the FBS in, in rush defense. Iowa's been living by the run, certainly the last two games. Do you really think we'll see that much of a heavy run game this year, or might the offensive staff for the Hawkeyes try to mix it up and get back to a little bit more balance in preparation for the Big Ten? I think they're going to do whatever it takes to win. Truly, I truly believe that. If they, if they can run it 80 times and be successful, they will run it 80 times. And, you know, I mean, that, that, this is a perfect example where statistics could be misleading because they, you know, they played Michigan State, they played Northwestern, which we both know have very, very strong running games. And, and, and I know Northwestern runs a spread, but they run it, a lot of times they spread it out to run it. So uh, they're very, very effective with that. And so that's where you can have a, a statistic that may be somewhat misleading. Now, that being the case, you know, Iowa's running game is very, very unique. It's not like anybody else's for the most part and very, very difficult to defend. P.J. Fleck comes in. He's the youngest coach in the FBS at the age of 30. Pat Fitzgerald was in a similar position when he took over at Northwestern. Fleck appears to have a lot of enthusiasm, which seems to come with that youth. Are there any particular challenges you think that a younger staff face as they try to build a program? Not really. I mean, this, this is a perfect example. This guy knows the game. I mean, this guy was, I think, played at Northern Illinois. It was actually part of, I think, Kirk Ferentz's first victory as an Iowa coach. He was on that team, I think. That's correct. You know, he, he, you know, he's a smart, 
smart football player. He got the game. He understands what's going on with the game and has a passion for it. And and that's you know that's there's a there's an innate quality that comes with that. You know when you're a student of the game and it, so it doesn't take years. It doesn't take mentors necessarily. Although he's probably had great coaches along the way. But you know some guys just have a knack for understanding the game and understanding where you need to attack and how you need to evolve your game and, and, and your schemes. And I think this is one of those guys. And then that youth actually can play a, a huge positive for you because you're building a program. The number one thing to do is recruit and get kids to your campus. And, and that's where youth can be very, very beneficial, you know, when you're on the road quite a bit and, and you're able to keep that energy up and then be able to communicate with 17, 16, 18-year-old kids. You know, I think that'll play uh, huge benefits for him as he goes forward. Yeah, you mentioned his background, NIU, and then coaching under Greg Schiano at uh, Rutgers in Tampa Bay. And just what you said, reports out of there indicate that his incoming 2014 recruiting class already has 27 recruits, and a lot of them are at least three stars in rivals. So looks like he's having some success in that regard. What's your prediction here? What are your keys to this game? Uh, you know, the keys will be to, to, to honestly, to get up and stay up and, and kind of set the tone early that we are the, the better team. And, and, and obviously they're going to want to do that through the running game and, and try to keep them somewhat off, off balance. But ultimately, I think the staff's going to do whatever it takes to be successful. And if the running game's working, they're going to stay with it. And, you know, that's the way I see it kind of playing out. Just Iowa's depth, physicality, the way they play, and then just getting up early and staying on it. So I, I see Iowa winning by 10, 14 points and, and having a lot of success with the running game and then continuing to develop the play-action play pass off of it. It's interesting that, the, that you'd have a point spread like that just because, you know, I can't remember the last time Iowa's won by double digits other than, I guess, Missouri State, we beat them by 10. But it's it, it's going to be a tough game. And Western Michigan is a lot better than people think. And you say they're 0-3, but they said they played Michigan State, then they played a team in the middle, and then they are Northwestern. So you know, it's going to be a tough game. It's going to be a 60-minute game at least. And, you know, I just think that Iowa's going to be too strong and continue to improve and be a better team on Saturday. Hey, shake and bake, Cal. Woo! Shake and bake! Second and ten now. Richardson off the back foot, throws dangerous ball, and that's hauled in. Oh, what a play. B.J. Lowry. That could be a nomination for the number one play. I'll say that, that does a good job of making up for that missed tackle on the first touchdown earlier. You know I'm a baseball fan. He just took one away for a home run. Hawkeyes Mike Football Shows are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer, the revolutionary antimicrobial hand sanitizer that is alcohol-free and lasts all day with a single application. Try the hand sanitizer the Iowa Hawkeyes use. And remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group, Wells Fargo Advisors Financial Network in Coralville, Iowa. Call 319-512-6261 or toll-free 800-883-0842. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. Our thanks again to FS1 for the game highlights this week, and as always, special thanks to Marv Cook. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you will participate by phoning and making your own voice heard on our shows. Call 866-74-HAWKS. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.